Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hey everyone, I'm Roman Roberts, a former Army interrogator turned podcaster, helping people be a better communicator in their daily life. And you're listening to the Inspire Leadership Series with Jonathan Bowman Perks. Roman, thank you very much indeed. And really lovely to have a fellow military man on the program. Uh, I've had a few over my time and also deep respect for the guys who did the interrogation. Um, I was obviously training and working with people who were prone to capture. We had to go through interrogation training ourselves with our version of what you did, the Joint Service Interrogation Wing. Uh, so lovely to have you on board. So let's begin with Roman, just tell us a bit about your current role, what you're doing now, and take us back to some key events in childhood, how they've shaped you as the leader you are today, age 31, and all the things you've packed into your life so far. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a packed life for sure. So I started in foster care. I grew up in abusive homes, uh, bouncing around for a long time, and eventually got placed with the family. I like to say it was less than ideal. Uh, I was trying to get out of there as quickly as I could. The military was a great option for that. So I joined the army. Uh, they asked if I wanted to be an interrogator. So it sounds interesting. They offered me some extra money and I said, definitely. And best decision I ever made. I joined the military, got to deploy multiple times, work with special operations teams from all over the world, uh, British, New Zealand, American, uh, Afghan, Iraq, Iraqi, uh, just so many great groups of people training and doing deployments with them. And that's where I really first got exposed to amazing leaders because I was working with people across the entire world, right? From, from the political aspect to the tactical special operations team, uh, seeing all of that. And so it was great to be engulfed in that. Then I jumped out of the military, transitioned, had a very rocky transition, uh, got extremely bad at some points and eventually had to overcome that but I found that what I had to overcome was while knowing how to communicate I was doing a horrible job communicating with myself I wasn't being real about my lack of identity my lack of purpose the issues I was facing the traumas I'd went through in the military and then in foster care and so I really had to dive deep and get into that and start breaking that down and I found through that that people in general need help with communication, whether it's at a business level or a personal level. And so now I try to offer business consulting to people to give them the communication skills that I've learned from business and military experience to really help them show up the best that they can in their personal and professional life and how they communicate both verbally and written, because it's a big thing now. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, and you just shared a huge amount there, which I don't want to step over completely. But and, and of course, we can't go too deep because we haven't got the time for it. But I just want to acknowledge that. So my wife set up a charity for vulnerable girls who've gone through abuse, modern day slavery, trafficking, mental health issues. And so I'm very aware of people in some of the foster homes and the abuse that they've gone through. That was just a little thing you stepped over. <laughs> What did you, 
in that abusive environment, uh, and I don't want to take you back there too deeply, but what was your big learning which has helped you now, age 31, from being in such a really challenging time? Yeah, you know, I say it when I go speak to different foster homes and different children. Um, it's, it's really three parts. Love yourself, love others, and let others love you. So the biggest mistake that I made was that I put painted everyone in a broad brush. I was abused. So all people are abusers. I, I didn't feel love. So no one loves me. Right. And when you paint in those broad strokes, you miss a lot. And so realizing that even in the midst of some of those darkest times, I had caseworkers who loved me. I had people who loved me and, and wanted to see me succeed still. Uh, and even in, as I went further along, right. My wife dealing with me transitioning and all of those issues, like she loved me in those dark times, like no matter how dark the time is, there's always someone that loves you and you have to realize that. And even if that person is just God or your higher spiritual being, whatever that is, right, there's, there's always some form of love. So you need to accept that and you also need to be pushing that love out. I'm a big believer in you get into the world what you give to the world. Well, uh, that's, that's a fantastic attitude to have. And, and let's just also um, touch on when you left the military, a lot of the demons came back. And uh, we find in the UK, a number of very fine servicemen. And I was in the, uh, in the Scots Guards. I served with them a couple of years. Um, um, I did airborne training while I was, I was there with them. And a number of the guys who, who served in the Falklands War were in my platoon, but many of them had PTSD and mental health issues. And so some of them ended up on the streets, uh, drinking, you know, meths and all sorts of problems like that and falling into really bad places, dying young. Um, what was, again, what was your learning from that horrendous transition? And uh, I think you, you, you got bad at some points. Just give us a bit of a... A flavor. Yeah, I mean, it got really bad. There was actually at its peak. I mean, my wife and I, I was drinking probably a bottle a day from dawn to dusk kind of thing. Um, I was, you know, dipping two cans of Copenhagen a day. I was, you know, just thinking that I had lived this macho bravado and all this different stuff. And it got to a place where I was so afraid of everything around me that I actually stepped out of my, my wife, out of our relationship. I stepped out of our marriage. I you know, I was at a place where at the darkest, I almost committed suicide, I had the Glock in my mouth kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's dark. But the thing that I learned is that if you want to pull yourself out of it, you will. Hmm. It gets so easy to get caught up in that I'm a veteran or everything's bad mentality. But if you can find a way to start slowly looking to pull yourself out, you can. And that was for me, like, I didn't do it all overnight. Like it's been years in the making and it's still happening, right? Like I'm still learning and growing from it. But, you know, I said, this is not how I want to live. I want to live differently. And I started by getting therapy, talking to therapists. I, I stopped drinking. I seriously reduced how much I drink. I changed the lifestyle that I was living. I stopped being a victim and just sitting on my couch and saying, everyone should respect me as a veteran to saying, what am I doing to show people that they can respect me? Right. Yeah. And, and once you really change that mindset, everything starts to slowly change along with it. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. Cause um, you know, having been in a dark place and been suicidal myself too, from a combination of various things, I respect someone who's turned it around and I found through daily routines and the, and the mindfulness and fitness and 
food. I do, I do intermittent fasting with my wife yep. uh, and, and the support and love of my wife and therapy has made a huge difference. Um, so yeah, really respect what you've been through Roman. Let's um, talk about a, one of the proudest times of your life and, and maybe one of the darkest times of your life and what you learned from both those two uh, imposters, treat them just the same as, as uh, <laughs> Kipling would say. I love it. I love it. No, I think my proudest moment, and I have a picture of it and, and a friend of mine caught it. And I have another version of it here. And I'm looking at it right now is my son being born. Um, I, I was told that we wouldn't be able to have kids. Both my wife and I were told we wouldn't be able to. Um, after everything that happened to us, almost losing our marriage and everything, we had our son. And it, it was a proud moment because I'd never had that growing up. I never envisioned that for myself. And here I am getting to experience that. And, you know, I don't have a lot of pictures of me as a kid. I'm slowly starting to get more uh, from finding them because I reconnect with my biological sister. But uh, the point being is that I see me as a child every day and my son growing up and I see an opportunity to make a better tomorrow. I mean, we all complain, you know, especially if you've been keeping up with U.S. politics, uh -huh. everyone has their take on what's going on out in the, in the world right now. But for me, you know, I just see it as an opportunity to, to make a difference in the world. And I truly believe that one person can make a difference. Yeah. And so getting yeah. to have a son is, is almost a continuation of that. Well, congratulations, Roman. And uh, I relate to that because my wife and I uh, recently had a granddaughter and ah. uh, baby Grace, uh, born in January. And that was very exciting. I love um, it. So I'm a granddad. But um, uh, you mentioned also, and I don't want to step over this, um, meeting up with your biological sister. How, how special was that? And what was, what was a highlight yeah, for you? Yeah, my, my wife did that. Um, my wife is, you know, you give my wife a name and a location and she can pretty much find anything. Like the, the government should seriously hire her. She is, she's great at it. Um, and it's funny because I'm an interrogator and she's like, I can find people way faster than you. <laughs> I don't, you just have a knack for it. And uh, she found my sister after I went and spoke at the foster home I grew up at. And, you know, a couple of back and forth between the two of them. And eventually we all connected and met. And yeah, it was an amazing feeling to, to know, hey, I have a sister out there. I get to meet her. That my wife was so invested in my life and my family beforehand and, and all of this that she took the time to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that would probably be a tie moment for Proud uh, because it was a, a culmination of everyone's love, right? My sister's love to keep looking for me, my wife's love of me to, to do that. So that was just a huge like love moment to not yeah. sound too cheesy. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's, it's incredibly special. And, and obviously being a child in a foster home, knowing what you know now and all the work you've done on yourself and uh, the training you have as interrogator and the, the uh, consulting you give as communications, Let's imagine going back to visit that foster home and seeing the young Roman in that difficult situation. What bit of advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I mean, not to repeat the love piece, but I do think that's critical. But I also think that the love piece goes a little deeper to communication, right? Like you have to be willing to, to open up and talk to people. And me as a child, I, I like to say I was a chameleon. Like I was just doing what it took to survive, right? And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like survival is very paramount, right? Food, water, shelter, like before we can do self-actualization, all those other things, we have to achieve that. So I think a lot of foster children in general, and me specifically, was very much trying to survive. So realize that survival is a little bit easier 
when you have people around you, when you have a tribe, right? Like we as people, humanity strive for tribes, you know, even down to like the, the mammal, like an animal level, animalistic herds, packs, tribes, whatever you want to call them, like they exist. So you can't have that unless you communicate. Now I'm not saying conform to the tribe or the group, but I'm saying very much so you need to communicate and have open dialogue, expressing your feeling, expressing your likes and dislikes. And I never did that as a child. Yeah. But I can understand why when it's not psychologically safe, how can people open up? You go, hang on. I I get to understand how things are around here. And if you're going to survive, this is the way to survive. I watch him and, and I saw them do that and go vulnerable and they got beaten up. It's not worth it. So I do respect that. Let's go around the inspiring leadership compass, beginning with moral quotient. You know, you've seen some evil bad bastards, both uh, in, in foster homes um, and also enemy combatants that you've been dealing with, doing quite evil things, terrorists and things like that. But also people in the military who themselves are probably on the, what I call the narcissistic personality disorder spectrum. So. Uh, we just happen to put them in uniform and that makes them even more dangerous or we make them presidents, whatever you, you do. You know, <laughs> just, you know they, they, they have these traits. Back to moral, you know, what, what if there were two or three values that you live by, what are they? And what happened when you let them slip in the past, as you described, and how you brought yourself back on track? Yeah, so loyalty. And I, you know, it's funny that I start with that one. But, um, you know, the military taught me it, but the military also taught me a skewed piece of it, right? Because I would watch this like loyalty and brotherhood, but also I'd watch those same NCOs when we went on like trainings in different states or countries be like different zip code doesn't matter what I do. Right. So they would cheat on their wives or do whatever. Right. So, so there was like this duality to loyalty that was very hard to comprehend. And these are people that I'm looking to as mentors that kind of gave me a skewed perception of that. So I think the first one is loyalty. And even when you mess it up, acknowledging that, which leads to my second one communication, right? Because I'm, I'm big on communication when you fail in loyalty, communicating that failure or just whatever, communicating what, how you feel about something, the good and the bad, you have to have that communication, have a strong, strong relationship. Mm. It wasn't until my wife and I started really communicating that we went from this cookie cutter relationship that everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's so perfect to maybe a little more messy, but on our end, it was a perfect relationship. We were finally communicating and firing on all cylinders. The loyalty was at peak. So you know, loyalty, communication. And I think the third one would be some kind of an acknowledgement of a higher power, you know, whatever that is for you, whether for me, it's God, that not everything is in my control. And when I can learn to give up control of everything, it really makes for a better understanding. Yeah. And um, in a previous marriage, uh, one of uh, my relations in that previous marriage was an alcoholic. And uh, so we went to Al-Anon, and um, there's the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, um, the courage to change things I can, and the knowledge, or, or no, and, and the ability to know the difference. I've forgotten it. Yep. It's not exactly that, but you know what I mean. Uh, the wisdom to know the difference, the wisdom to know the difference. And, and I think um, people in that, they just talk about a higher power. Um, I, I found in the pandemic and in some challenging times, stoical philosophy is very good. Well, of which much, to be honest, much of Christianity is based, mm-hmm. but, but the, the stoical philosophy, which Al-Anon based their work as well, where you Roman control the controllables, but you have to let go of the things you have no control over. 
and and stress and anxiety is caused when we're here but we want to be there we're not we're not exactly. we're, we're here and we're not present because we're always wanted to be there or we're thinking about where we were before so i'm constantly practicing being in the moment hence the mindfulness things like that so exactly. it's something you and i talked about before let's go into the second one pq which is like meaning and purpose your dharma your calling you know you seem to be a man who's found a real sense of purpose now having drifted and and had been in some deep shitty holes and you got yourself out um what gives your life meaning and purpose now and and the work that you do roman and and, and what is it you enjoy about the work you do for for your clients yeah so two things one it's my family like at the foremost of everything um i i want to build a legacy like i'm i'm rooting for the world's greatest grandpa mug right now you know and so when i put things in that perspective it gives legacy loyalty like all those different baselines that i was talking about just previously but also along with that is i enjoy helping people i genuinely enjoy it i joined the military to help people i moved out of foster care to to go from seeing bad to stopping bad and so you know that's what i do with communication and people say well you move, you left the military now you do it for business it's the same thing if a business is communicating and doing everything properly if they're operating on the right cylinders, they're employing more people, they're doing more, they're growing, they're making a bigger impact in society. The words have power, right? We all acknowledge that. And even more so now, since COVID has hit, we realize the power of words, the power of the written statements, all of this. So for me, helping those businesses do that makes the world a better place. And like I said, it starts in that small area that I can control and then mm. it pushes out. Yeah, brilliant. And then the next one round from having a sense of meaning and purpose in from from uh, seeing bad to stopping bad is uh, health and well-being, mental and physical. What do you do to look after your mental, physical health? Because clearly you've had battles as I have with mental health. Uh, what couple of tips would you give people about looking after your mental health and, and one about looking after your physical health? Because you talked about getting getting a, a good relationship with alcohol and, and food and things like that yeah so i think i think the first piece is realizing that it's all conjoined right like holistic health exists for a reason right it all ties together uh so for us when we went on that holistic journey you know we moved to more natural less processed we started questioning doctors right so i think the biggest piece of advice and i've talked to a couple guests on it here recently in my show is don't be afraid to question, do the research on your own, right? Like a doctor sees the world through one lens, a doctor, you know, may have an agenda to try to make quota to make a bonus, right? Or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're ultimately responsible for the health of you and your family and me as a father and a husband, I take that provider piece very seriously. So my health and fitness is I incorporate it into everyday life. My son and me and my wife will go out for a walk and review our day. We'll ride the bike and talk about what's going on in our life. We'll eat healthy food. We'll grow healthy food so our son can see what it looks like to grow a tomato, right? And grow these healthy organic things and say, we choose this because of this and not that. So I think it's really an educational piece. And I think it starts small. Like we didn't move to this place where we don't have a microwave and we question, you know, the, the different products and supplements out there. We didn't move to that place overnight. You know, I used to drink tons of energy drinks, slam tons of soda, eat Buffalo wings, and then just take like a BCAA supplement to balance my workout. Right. Like, but it's holistic. So once I started realizing like, oh, wait, these sugars break down in a different way than natural sugars. Like once you put all of those different pieces together, it completely changes it. So yeah, be, become an informed 
person about yeah. mental and physical health. Yeah, I get the sense that like like me, I I, I uh, grew up being told I was thick and I was going to become a dustman. I don't know if you have the same expression. What, what someone who picks up the garbage cans? Yep, yep, yep. What do you call yep. them? Well, you're just as a trash man. Trash man. Yeah, that's 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 what my teacher, age seven, told me because I couldn't do my maths, and I couldn't spell. Now it's only now, as I'm close to sixty, that I did a test and found out I'm dyslexic, badly dyslexic, reading, writing, spelling, and maths. I managed to become a business professor and I did pure and applied <laughs> maths at A-level, but God, did I have to try hard. And it was just so hard. But the, the, the thing I, I really bring out on that is we, we then try and overcome that. So I'm trying to, to, to convince a long dead teacher that I'm not thick. Um, but my way of learning is the, like these earpieces here, it's audible. So I, I will listen to 60 to 80 audiobooks a year on the gut, health, well-being, intermittent fasting, neuroscience, and and a bit like you, I, I get the sense you're you're hungry to learn and grow. I'm just soaking it all up, and it, it might be from our early days in our upbringing. I grew up in a caravan on a runway, and, and my father was in the navy, but he was killed when I was three. So so my way of of coming to terms with things is looking for a father who wasn't there. Mother brought us up on her own, but but it, it makes me driven to do that. And I get the sense you're quite driven to learn these things. And I think that's a really good way in a balanced way, probably a little bit obsessive at times, but it, it, it's good to learn. And then you and I pass it on to other people. We communicate it to other people. Let's go on to the CQ, which is the next one, which is about cultural intelligence quotient. Not often talked about. It's a more interesting aspect came out from, from Harvard recently, but, but your ability to cope with a different culture to the one you're in uh, and you more than anybody, where you're working with Iraqis and Americans and Brits and Canadians, had to adapt to different cultures. And, and what's a tip you'd give so people are more culturally intelligent and cope with diversity, equality, and inclusion? I love this. I love this because you know when I joined the military, I never expected to become an emotional intelligent or culturally intelligent. Right? Like the, I didn't even know those terms existed. And that exposure, I, I came to find that a mindset of learning will get you a long way. And I think for culture, I don't agree with everything about every culture. I don't agree with everything that every person says. Like fundamentally, we're just not going to, that's not gonna happen. But if I can come from the standpoint of learning and wanting to understand it, and, and people will go, well, no, that I don't have to pander to that. Hear me out. What I'm saying is, is when you do that, if your stance is, I want to challenge that person. Well, you can't even challenge them until you understand them. So no matter where you stand on the stance of, I, you know, I, do I want to learn about this culture for this or that? Whatever the reason is, you still have to learn. And once you learn about it, then you can either have the logical discussion of why you disagree with it, or you can incorporate that into your life. There's a lot of things I learned from Afghan interpreters, Iraqi special forces operators, the, the British SAS guys that I worked with, like they're all very different cultures. But when you absorb all of that and take it in, now you become more efficient because they're learning things that you haven't even thought about. And you're thinking about things they haven't even. So when you can mix that together, man, that's, that's what truly is. And I think that's what America fundamentally tries to be is this cultural melting pot, but we've lost the desire to let people explain to us their culture and we've lost that desire to learn their culture. So the melting pot now just becomes these like separated, like oil and water, right? Like mm. there's this culture here and there's this culture there, but really we want them to get back into that mix. Yeah. I, I think you hit on a very interesting aspect that we can't, you know, 
two, two things come to mind. One is that saying that everybody you meet has something to teach you, if only you'd listen. And the second one is, imagine that everybody on the planet is enlightened apart from you. They're all enlightened. And so, so if you just listen to them, you might learn something. It's even about how not to be when you meet those really evil bastards that you meet in life, how not to be like that. Or part of your life, but like me, I, I've made some mistakes over, over my time in life, many of them perhaps not behaved as I would like to have behaved. And I go, that's not me. That's not how I'm gonna be now. The identity I choose, to, I choose to have. And I think it's a big one about choice. And I, I do think that we become very polarized in our society. Certainly in America, you see the Republicans, Democrats, it, desperate how, how it's become with, with uh, the Capitol Hill incident, things very like that. So. But, but in Britain, we've got the same, whether it be Brexit or Remain, uh, but, but, but people have got their tribes and they go, you're wrong, I'm right. No, 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 no. Do you, do you know their story? And this is why what you and I have the privilege of doing, hearing people's stories is such an honor mm -hmm. because once I start to understand Roman Roberts's story, I can begin to understand how you see the world a bit more and why you've got the values you've got. And therefore we could build a friendship or a, a working relationship, which is built on dignity. Where, where I, I see you as you stand for your values and I have mine. It doesn't make you wrong, you're just different from me, but at least, as you say, we're all connected. It's, it's a bit like our health, we're, we're all connected. And that's a piece I love, like you, you, you hit it on the head right there. Wrong and different are two different words. We have to stop putting them together. And when we separate them, then you start seeing real growth. Yeah, yeah, I think really so. And, and from the bigger picture of cultural CQ, cultural question about a society or a group or another country or whatever it is, let's go into emotional intelligence. You touched on this, the emotional and social intelligence, using your emotions intelligence so you can understand your own emotions and manage your own emotions. You can't control them, you just manage them. I, I can get to know you and understand your emotions and why you do what you do. And uh, people in a meeting in a room and then I can understand the reality of what's going on in the business or society or the world or what's going on. What is your sense of how you've learned, particularly as an interrogator? Uh, that's, uh, I really, you know, Dick and Dorf and, you know, the, this ability to, to the nice guy, the nasty guy, you know, and, and all these different things, because you have to deeply study human psychology to make a connection with someone. In this case, it's to get them to be safe enough to open up to you, to stop a terrorist bombing happening or something like that. But those skills won't have left you and you can use them for good now for communication. So tell us a little, a couple of tips of things you've learned that you've found the, useful. The be, yeah, exactly. The best tip, and you kind of touched on it, is safety. We have to start realizing that communication is about safety, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, fundamental safety, right? When you go back to all of that, at its core, in a conversation, you're doing one of two things. You're providing safety or you're taking safety away. Now, when you move to the takeaway, now we're getting into torture and that gets into like moral compass and a lot of different other things, right? And then the con condemned by Geneva conventions and different things of that nature. But point being is that if you always start from a place of safety, you can ramp a conversation up. Like your emotions can move to a more heightened and angry and aggressive. But if you start at angry, aggressive, it's really hard to bring it back down, right? Like if you're a parent, go yell at your kid about something and then see how they act for the rest of the day, right? It impacts the way people think. So from an emotional intelligence point of view, we have to stop thinking of strictly, like you said, 
con controlling and reeling in these emotions, we have to realize that managing them and creating safety is the key part of it. If you can create safety, the emotions will fall in line because when a person feels safe, they'll tell you if they're sad. They'll tell you if they're angry. They'll tell you how they feel because you've created a space where they feel able and willing to do that. That is so true. And, and Roman, with that comes appropriate vulnerability. And this is where the CEO or the leader has to go first to go, guys, look, I've made some mistakes. I mean, I think about, you know, the military operations we did in Northern Ireland where we camped terrorism. We were flying in by helicopter dead at night into a field. I was the major. There was a sergeant with me and a corporal and a private soldier. Now, if one of us spotted something, they told us all, take cover. I didn't go, excuse me, do you know, I'm the major. I'm in charge. I'll give the command. Oh, oh. And I was dead. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't have worked. And equally, at the end of the uh, operation that particular night, we'd do an after-action review. And I'd begin by going, okay, guys, uh, this is what happened that worked well that I think I did. And, and I thought you did that well. I thought you did that well. And they, they'd talk about what they thought worked well. And then I said, even better if, EBI, I, when we got out of the helicopter, guys, I apologize. I took us 500 meters down the hedge line in the wrong direction. And we had to turn around. I realized I got it wrong. I apologize about that. We came back. And then the private soldier would say, I, I did this right, but I, I could have done that better. And, and I think that level of vulnerability. But if I, as the major, went, I'm perfect. I didn't make any mistakes. And if you guys make mistakes, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so it just doesn't work. And if a CEO is open to 360 feedback and communications from you and you spot what they do and what they could improve, that the organization sunk because everybody then starts lying and you get good news culture and failure is not an option. And, and, and then failure does happen by osmosis because they're not talking to each other. They're not communicating. What's, what's your thoughts? Exactly. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think for me, the biggest thing is that everyone thinks they're so great at communicating, like, except that you're not 90% of people are not great communicators. That's not an insult. That's just the, the example that I always use is breath work. Um, you can hire a breathing coach and they'll tell you right off the bat, you know, like, Hey, you're breathing too much through your nose or too much through your mouth or whatever. Right. The same is true for communication. You've been doing it for so long X way based on how you were brought up based on your tribes, your culture, all these different things. Right. And now you're trying to suddenly become emotionally intelligent and interact with all these different spaces, but you haven't changed a single thing about how you communicate. So until you change that baseline to get it right and then do exactly what you say. So I call it three pillars, right? Conversation is planning that conversation, which goes into knowing yourself, understanding how you communicate, understanding how others communicate. The second is creating that safety in communication, right? And again, you can take it or you can give it, right? So that, that gives both realms, but you have to have safety to have anything. And then that third point is exactly what you touched on. You have to review your conversations from talking to the coffee barista all the way to talking to the CEO of the merger you're trying to do. You got to review all those conversations and say, did I do what I intended to do? Did I meet my goal? Did I achieve the conversation that I wanted? And it can be as simple as the lady at, at the coffee shop didn't think that I was a total asshole, right? Like that's fine if that's the goal of it, or it can be as complex as did I shave off 32% in this merger? Did I make them feel like they got the win when really and truly I got the win, right? Like whatever, but be real about what that is. Then you can have a real conversation. That's brilliant. I love it. 
Uh, and going from, from the learnings in emotional and social intelligence with um, planning, creating and reviewing the conversations that you have, you've had a lot of experience which requires great resilience against adversity. And that's RQ, which is the, the third to the last of them. What, what's been your tip about uh, learning to bounce back from failure and setbacks and disappointments? And what tip would you give to those listening? You got to forgive yourself. It starts with forgiving yourself, whether it's, you know, you blew a, a million dollar deal or like I've made million dollar mistakes or you thought about putting a gun in your mouth and stepped out of your marriage, right? Like you got to forgive yourself because if you don't forgive yourself, then you're just harboring that into you, right? And I can get into the, the neuroscience piece, how it affects the way that you think moving forward. I can get into the health piece, how it affects your gut health, that you have these unresolved issues, right? Like there's so much to it. But at the end of the day, what that means is you're not operating at peak performance. And we all want to be optimized. We all want to be peak, right? So in order to do that, forgive yourself. Acknowledge that you make mistakes because you're human. We all do. Every role model you look up to makes a mistake. So forgive yourself and move forward from it. Take the lessons and move forward. Yeah, that's so good. And one of the questions I ask the CEOs I work with is, when was the last time you personally were dead wrong? And I wait. Now, the good ones will go, do you know what, Jonathan? I make mistakes yeah. all the time, every day, learning from them. The really ones that worry me a lot go, let me think, was it 1978? <laughs> uh, I, really, I really can't think of a time I was wrong. The second question, if they do get to admit that when they do make personal mistakes, was how quickly did you realize you'd made a mistake? And, and the follow-on was how quickly did you do something about it to resolve it and, and make up with the others for the mistakes you made? And I think, I think, as you said before, we've got to get people to have that appropriate vulnerability to admit that they're human and to, to be human is to err. And we're always work in progress. Leaders are never finished. You know, it's, I think someone describes it as the incomplete leader with a complete team. Um, yeah. You know, you're never Perfect. complete. Um, let's go on to the last two of Around the Compass, which is a brand, reputation, image, and impact, BQ. Um, what have you done to, you know, get 360 feedback on how people experience you, feedback from others, so you can continually keep learning and improving? Because that seems to be a theme for you, learning, improving, mm -hmm. growing, Roman. Yeah, I mean, so for me, communication, right? So I'm just like blunt. I'll, I'll hit them right over the head with it. Tell me, tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong whether it's inside of businesses, inside of consulting, inside of podcasting, like I constantly open myself up to that. Now, how often people give it to me, that's also their choice, right? Like they have their own side that they have to work through. But I, I make it very clear that I constantly want to be receiving that. And anytime I get it, I show it, right? So, you know, if I have good feedback on the podcast, I'll show it. But the other day, someone said, hey, you know, I don't like 10 minutes. And I said, okay, I understand that. And, you know, what if I did more 10 minute episodes? Okay, cool. So now I'm starting to look at making more 10 minute episodes to give someone more exposure to that content. And that's really what it is. Like you have, like back to that vulnerability, you have to create the safety and confidence in your own identity that people can come to you and say, I don't like that you did this. And then you can say, do I, do I acknowledge that? And that's something I need to change? Or is that just an opinion, right? Because the other piece of brand is knowing when you need to change to the masses and when it's just an opinion of people, right? Because the other end is we're so afraid of cancel culture 
that brand has become this very cautious thing. Well, I don't want them to say that they don't like me. No, I want people to tell me they don't like me. I want to be polarizing because I'm not trying to appeal to everyone and no one should be trying to appeal to everyone because that mitigates the person that they can relate to. If you're everyone's everything, they're not going to go look for the person that they need. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and what I've uh, aspired to do is be a niche within a niche. So for mine, it's inspiring leadership, but it's specifically about CEOs and people aspiring to be senior leaders in their particular roles. Uh, there's a lot of areas I don't deal with, and there's lots of areas I'm not good at. But if I if people know that that's the area, that's the person to go to, it makes much sense. And you're clearer because you 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 know you are never an expert because an X is a has been and a spurt is a small trip under pressure. So I, I never want to be described as an, as an I like expert, that. expert. I'm going to use that. Yeah, please do. I learned it from somewhere, some, some sergeant who, who told That's me, awesome. I was uh, told me, sir, you're a legend in your own lunchtime. I think that was an insult. <laughs> uh, but talking about legends, let's talk about the last bit, LQ. Um, in your lunchtime, what legend would you like to be? What, what is it that you hope, Roman, to leave behind you the difference you'd like to make in your life? Not only to uh, your child, and to your wife but, but and friends, but, but to the work you do in communications? Yeah, it all kind of rolls together. But truthfully, I want, I want to build a legacy. I want to have, and I think everyone does, but I want to have a huge house with tons of grandkids running around. And even if it's this house, right, with tons of grandkids running around, like I, I want that family legacy because I didn't have it growing up. But I think the other piece of that is in building that family, family legacy, I'm building communication. I'm building how to be a better communicator. I'm, I'm doing a podcast, right? Like I'm, I'm being open and vulnerable. And I hope that me doing that makes my son become open and vulnerable faster, which then makes his son and his daughter and on and on and on. Right. And it becomes better and better and better. And they are opt like their initial starting place is where I ended my life at. That's what I want. Yeah. And I think that you know, there's, there's lots of theories about the wooden shoe, silk slipper and all of that and how you can eventually lead to a downfall of society. But I think that truthfully, it's how you lead to the, the utopia of society that everyone's achieving and striving for. Like when you really say, I want my family to be the best. I want the people involved with me day to day to, to live their best lives. Like that's the legacy I want. Roman helped everyone he came in contact with live their best life. Fantastic. Lovely, lovely legacy. So we're, we're almost near the end. Um, a book that you'd recommend, uh, and I think you had a good podcast guest who did a great book. Tell us about that book. I did. I actually had a couple, but one of my favorite ones is Raise Your Game by Alan Stein Jr. He's a former NBA coach. He now works with a lot of CEOs, large businesses, uh, helping them to, just like it says, raise their game. And he takes the tips that he's learned from working with Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, all these big name athletes. And he's using that to then drive to better performance in all levels of team. Very good. Very good. Thank you. So uh, let's do the, the, the last segment, which uh, a little introduction from yourself and your top tip. And that would just finish off the series nicely. Yeah, I know I keep saying it, but my top tip is communication as leaders, as you know, whether you're a leader in your home or a leader in your business, you have to be a communicator and you have to really start getting down to those fundamentals. What type of communicator am I trying to be? Am I creating safety? Am I creating that space for communication? And am I constantly reviewing my conversations to make sure that I'm keeping that space at the forefront? Brilliant. Great tip. Rowan Roberts, thank you very much indeed for being on the Inspiring Leadership Series. It's been great having you.
So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.